All right, uh, let me thank you for uh, your prayers for me last week. Meetings went uh, very well. Thanks, Rhett, for uh, doing the Sunday school class. Um, good, good experience. Um, did a series on the visions, uh, visions of God, visions of Christ. Uh, preached, I think, seven times total in the three days, so it was uh, a busy time. Uh, snowed, snowed on Sunday. If you were having tough rain here last week at this time, we were having 10 inches of snow, 8 inches, 10 inches of snow. Uh, worked out well. My, had some car difficulty going up, so my car was safely in the Saturn garage, and so I drove cool ones around uh, in the snow. So I felt real bold, and uh, that, that was good. Uh, got lost going up. Got lost going up. I'm heading for Pennsylvania, right? Next thing I know, I'm heading toward Bristol, Tennessee. Went 35 miles down the wrong highway before I finally realized it. Turned around, came back. And I, I, I want you to know, those, I was with Sander, but those 35 miles coming back were awfully quiet in the car. <laughs> but I was proud of myself. I, I didn't yell or lose my temper or anything else. I just didn't talk. I was, was good. Hardest thing. Hardest thing I had to do. Uh, on Tuesday, I, I had to preach at the, uh, they had a little school, so I had to preach at their chapel uh, on, on Tuesday. Uh, and because I was the special speaker, yes, uh, they, they combined everything. So I had fourth graders all the way to twelfth graders. Telling you what, uh, that is bondage. <laughs> that is absolute total bondage. Little girl in the front row, must have been the fourth grade. Everything I did, she did. Uh, <laughs> if I did that, right? She's doing that. If I did that, she's, and she's mocking me the whole time. She's worse than Bruce Byers down there. Uh, that, was, that was good. But I had a good time. All right, uh, we're turning back today to the 14th chapter of Exodus. Exodus chapter 14. We've been looking at this book in general terms. We've had a broad theological overview of the uh, message of Exodus, establishing some of the key themes uh, of, the, uh, of the book. Great emphasis, obviously, upon God's deliverance uh, of His people and their consequent service uh, unto Him. And we started looking, last time we were together, uh, at a series of uh, test. We're going to look now at some of the specific uh, aspects of the book. And one of the things that uh, I think is quite remarkable to me here, and I want to develop these a little bit for you, uh, are these series of tests that God put his people through, having delivered them from the uh, iron furnace of affliction, bringing them out from that place of bondage on this way to freedom. Uh, there were some difficulties. And this journey of faith and this journey of life now, uh, having been delivered from the Egyptians, uh, was not uh, just a smooth road. Uh, and the Lord put up obstacles and the Lord put up tests uh, to them to teach them and to bring them even more and more to a conscious sense of dependence uh, upon him. And I'm surveying here, not in great detail, but pointing out some of these key tests that the Lord put his people through. Last time we were together, we considered that one right at the very beginning in chapter 5. Uh, as soon as they heard the word of deliverance, Moses comes and 
uh, informed then that God was going to bring them out and deliver them from this place of bondage. Uh, they believed the Lord and they worshipped the Lord. Uh, and as soon as that happened, as soon as they got the word of deliverance, uh, the work in the bondage got worse. Uh, Pharaoh took away the straw. He did not uh, in any way eliminate the amount of work that had to be done, but made the bondage even more uh, difficult than it ever was before. Uh, but there was something great that God was to teach them uh, in this test, remembering now that these tests are not capricious. Uh, these tests were always on purpose, and they were always designed by God to teach, uh, to teach them certain uh, key lessons, not the least of which uh, was His power and the sensibility uh, of placing their absolute trust and confidence and dependence upon the Lord. Uh, and they failed that test, uh, but the Lord was gracious and was going to teach them some more. Uh, so we know the story then. After that series of plagues, we have the great, uh, the great deliverance. The people march out of Egypt. Uh, they spoil the Egyptians. What a magnificent demonstration of the victory uh, and the power of God in uh, rescuing these people from that place of bondage. Uh, but then we come to chapter 14, and this is where we uh, were just beginning to look uh, last time we were together. Uh, they have made their way uh, out of the land, and now the Lord is uh, taking them to that land of promise. But something strange happens here at chapter 14. Uh, and at the word of the Lord, Moses uh, directs the people to what appears to be uh, a bad turn in the desert. Uh, verse 2, speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Piharivo between Migdol and the sea uh, over against Baal Zephon. Before it, ye shall encamp by the sea. Uh, we're talking about the Red Sea here. I'm not going to get at this point into the uh, direct route of the Exodus. This is one of the interesting questions among, uh, among Bible students and scholars the exact route that they took and what part of the Red Sea. We have liberals and critics that would argue that uh, they uh, simply went through what sometimes is a marshland that happened to be dried at that point and no, no real miracle whatsoever. Uh, and conservatives who like to uh, react against that say, no, no. And so they look for the deepest part of the Red Sea. If we're going to make a miracle, let's make it a miracle. Right? And so they look for the deepest part of the Red Sea possible. Uh, and the widest part of the Red Sea possible uh, through which they could go. Uh, well, I, I don't know that we need uh, to find the deepest part necessarily to make this, uh, but they passed through uh, the Red Sea, the Sea of Reeds. Uh, but it was a wrong turn. From a purely geographical standpoint, if they're going to the land of Canaan, from where they were in Goshen, in the land of Egypt, uh, it was just, in many ways, a straight shot uh, from there to the Promised Land. Uh, and they come out now of... Uh, this place of bondage, and God says, go this way. Uh, and at the instruction of God, he turns them in a way that seemed to be just uh, in the opposite direction of where they ought to have been going, uh, where the Lord said he was going to take them. And they find themselves now uh, with the Red Sea before them, uh, and the army of Pharaoh, having heard that, uh, realized that these people were uh, apparently ignorant. They didn't know which way they were going. Uh, they've got themselves cornered now. The Red Sea is before them. Uh, and it wasn't long before all the chariots of the army of Pharaoh were behind them. Uh, mountains on the other side. There was no place to go. Uh, the people were well cornered. 
Uh, and this becomes then the great test. Here is the question of the mysterious uh, providence of God. Uh, and it appears from every human perspective that uh, certain defeat uh, was ahead of the people. Uh, so here is the precarious circumstance. Defeat appears to be absolutely certain. What to do? Uh, there's no place to go. This seems to be a situation that uh, is without remedy. Well, how do the people respond? Uh, that's the test question. All right, That's the test question. Uh, the providence of God has taken you to a place where uh, it seems to make no sense. Uh, the providence of God has brought them now to a circumstance of life, a place in life, uh, that they don't understand. This doesn't make any sense to me. Why am I here? Uh, it appears that no matter what I do now, there is going to be increased difficulty. What am I going to do? Now, uh, you ever had that question? You ever had that question uh, that the Lord put, uh, put to you? may not be at the Red Sea, obviously, uh, but this is a question that the Lord uses and puts before His people, uh, a test that He puts before His people over and over again. And, and, and the hard thing here is, you know, we, we could well imagine that, well, you know, I, I made the wrong turn. I'm here because I wasn't following the Lord. Uh, I, I'm here in this particular situation because I wasn't careful to pray and to seek the guidance of God and whatever else. And, and this is now why I'm in this trouble. Lord, get me out of this trouble. But that's not the case here. All right? These people were in trouble because they followed the directions of God. Uh, they were here in this hard place because they were doing exactly what God had called them and instructed them to do. And before they know it, they're in this place where there seems to be no hope. I say that's a test. Well, how did they respond? All right, we see different answers. Uh, we see different answers to this test, just as we saw different answers uh, that were given back in chapter 5. Uh, look at verse 10, and we have, the, uh, we have the response of the people of, of Israel, the children of Israel. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried uh, out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Uh, is this not the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone? And we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians uh, than we should die in the wilderness. What a short memory these people had. Uh, it wasn't too long ago before they were rejoicing in what God had done. When they heard the word of deliverance, they were happy. We need to be freed from this bondage. Uh, and they were sore depressed and oppressed uh, in the land of Egypt. But now, with their short memory, uh, the, Egypt was now looking attractive to them, you see. Uh, we, we didn't want to leave here in, in the first place. Uh, what are we going to do? There's no place to go. We're cornered. Uh, why didn't you just leave us alone? We were happy enough in Egypt. Egypt wasn't so bad uh, after all. But can you see how they answered the question? Uh, it's not without significance that they lifted up their eyes uh, and behold the Egyptians and they were afraid. Uh, we're going to learn a key lesson here that what we, uh, what we see determines uh, our response. What we fear determines our response. Uh, and the key thing is there to make sure that we're looking at the right thing. They were looking at the circumstances. They were looking at the Red Sea before them. They were looking at the dust of the Egyptian chariots uh, looming ever nearer behind them. Uh, and they were naturally well afraid. And I submit to you that naturally that was not uh, a hard response to figure out. 
this was a dangerous situation. We can read this in, 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 the, uh, in the calm of uh, our, our circumstance. You see. Uh, and we say these poor, these poor fools, but put yourself there. You see, put yourself there. Uh, or put yourself in the last Red Sea that you uh, encountered. Uh, and uh, what do we look at? We, we, uh, we, we look at what's there. We see the danger. We see the difficulty. And, uh, and we become afraid. And the fear and the intimidation and the oppression and the depression and whatever else begin to set in. Uh, why did the Lord bring us here? Uh, and they complained unto Moses. But we come to Moses then. And we see the, uh, the right response. Uh, look at verse 13 now. Here is the right response. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. For he will show to you today, which he will show to you today, for the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Now, that's a phenomenal answer to the question. And remember, please, that Moses was right where these people were. Moses saw the same Red Sea, and he was probably closer to it than anybody else. Moses saw the same Red Sea that the rest of the people saw. And he saw the same armies of Pharaoh coming that the rest of the people saw. But rather than looking at that, rather than being uh, taken up by the circumstances, you can see here the response of faith. Fear ye not. Fear not. Uh, it's one of the great expressions of faith uh, in the Scripture. Don't be afraid. How many times do we read in the Scripture when God instructs His people, don't be afraid. Fear not. Uh, and the thing that's remarkable, and you run this through, uh, and you'll find that every time God tells His people not to be afraid, it's at a very moment when if they have a lick of human sense, they're going to be afraid. If they have any sense at all of self-preservation, uh, they're going to be in a situation where they are going to be afraid. Here's the storm. Uh, here, here, here's this great storm upon the sea, and the ship is about to sink. Uh, and the Lord says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Not to worry. Not to worry. I, I don't know if you've ever been in, in rough water or not in a small boat. It's a scary thing. Uh, it's a scary thing. Uh, and the Lord, at a time of danger, the Lord says, ha, ah, not to worry, don't be afraid. And I say, you look at every situation where the commandment comes to the people of God, don't be afraid. They are in a circumstance when if they are walking by sight, if they have a lick of, uh, of, uh, uh, of sense about them, they're in a situation that requires uh, and naturally is going to be responded to by fear. Moses saw what the, everybody else saw, but he says, fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Now, what I said a moment ago applies here. What we see influences our behavior, and what we fear influences our behavior. What we are afraid of is going to dictate how we behave. The people were afraid of the sea, the people were afraid of the Egyptians, and you saw what their response was. They were looking at that. Now Moses says, don't look at that. Don't look at the sea. Don't look at the Egyptians. You look at the salvation of the Lord. Get your eyes away from the Egyptians. Get your eyes away from uh, natural perception and look at the salvation of the Lord, and therefore don't be afraid. Now, which of those two things could they see with the physical eye? 
With the physical eye, they saw the sea and the Egyptians. But with the eye of faith, they were directed to the salvation of the Lord. Now, which of those two things were more real? What they saw physically or what they were to see spiritually? Appearance. Here's a great spiritual lesson. That appearance and reality uh, are not always the same thing. Appearance and reality are not always the same thing. It appeared that they were cornered. It appeared from every human perspective, from every sight perspective, that they were in grave danger. But in reality, they were not. In reality, it was the presence of Lord. In reality, it was the salvation that God had purposed. Now, did God know what He was doing here? Did God forget the geography of the world that He had made and told them to go this way when He wanted them up there? I submit no. I submit no. That this was a turn that God told them to take on purpose. God knew what He was doing. There was a plan. They didn't know what the plan was. And you understand, Moses did not know what the plan was. When God told Moses, I'm going to cause you to bring these people out uh, from Egypt and take to the promised land, God did not tell Moses, "Ah, by the way, we're going to go through the Red Sea when we do this. God never told Moses that. When Moses tells the people this in verse 13, Moses did not have a clue as to what God was going to do. Did not have a clue uh, as to what the Lord was going to do. But here's the faith. Here's the faith. He knew the Word of God. He had the promise of God. He knew what the will of God was here in this whole exercise. That hadn't changed. That hadn't changed. A circumstance, a situation, didn't understand. I don't know why I'm here. Don't know really how I got here. But the Lord uh, has not changed. Has not changed His purpose. So there's the secret of faith. Fear not. Not to fear that means that I'm looking at something else. Stand still, position yourself, stand firm here, and look at what God is going to do. These Egyptians uh, are, uh, are going to be gone. There's the strength of faith, the confidence in God's ability to perform and to keep His word. The Lord is going to fight for you, so hold your peace. Just not to worry. Just calm down. Just calm down. Well, there's the right answer. There's the right answer. Test question. They had this, Moses had the same question that they had. Bad answer, right answer. Now, as I said before, tests are always designed to teach. All right? Tests are always designed to teach. I, I know that as a teacher. I, I, I give tests in order to instruct the students. Sometimes, in the unhappy things, sometimes that the lessons are after the fact, right? Uh, and they learn too late. But nonetheless, uh, the lessons are to be learned. Now, there were lessons here. God had some purposed lessons to teach the people in this regard. First of all, let me suggest two principal lessons here. To proclaim the purpose of this was that the glory of the Lord might be proclaimed. To proclaim and to emphasize and to extol the glory of God. That becomes the principal thing in all the circumstances of life. Now, you go back to verse 4. Uh, and, and it becomes very clear here that none of this was taken God by surprise. This whole circumstance was not outside of God's purpose, was not outside of God's plan from the very get-go. But he says it verse 4. After he told Moses to turn this way, the Lord says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts. The Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Here's God's purpose. 
this is what's going to happen. I know what Pharaoh is going to do. He's going to see your, what appears to be stupidity in going in this direction. And he's going to say, I got him. And I'm going to put now within Pharaoh's heart, and we've talked about the hardening. I'm not going to go through all of that again, but here is the Lord's knowledge and here is the Lord's purpose. And what was his ultimate aim? That the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Look at verse 17. Uh, and behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. Now again, let's keep in mind that Pharaoh uh, and his army are the strongest force militarily on the face of the earth at this time. Nothing more fearful, nothing more powerful on earth than Pharaoh and his army. But what were they to God? What were they to God? God is telling Moses, he's telling the people, I'm going to do something here that will prove to you and prove to the Egyptians that I am the Lord. And he brings the people then to this extreme circumstance on purpose. They didn't know what the purpose was except this abstract thing out here, the glory of God. Yeah, that seems abstract to us sometimes, doesn't it? We know that all things work together for good. Uh-huh. What is that? That's this, this good that we keep talking about, right, becomes this almost this airy-fairy thing out here that uh, we, we just kind of grasp onto, not really knowing what it is. We talk about the glory of God, man's sheep in to glorify God, and we leave this sometimes out here in this fuzzy stuff, and we lay hold of that. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, God, I'm going to show you what my glory means here. I'm going to show you something about my glory. You people have to learn to depend upon me completely. Learn to depend upon me completely. And we, if we can learn to depend upon God, it's going to bring glory to God. You know, God says, I'll not share my glory with any other. But what, what happens when we find ourselves in messes so often? Uh, we, we try to figure out the way out, you see. Uh, we try to figure out the way out. Well, what did I do to get me here? What can I do to get out of here? And, and we try to figure out what uh, we can do. Uh, and you know, God brings us to a place very often in our lives where there's nothing we can do unless we come to that place of absolute and ultimate trust upon Him. To be at the end of ourselves and to find ourselves at the end of ourselves uh, and putting then and relying then of necessity uh, upon the Lord and His purpose for us. I say that's going to bring glory uh, because what have we done and what could we do uh, to extricate ourselves from that particular circumstance? Well, that's where they were. That's where they were. The Lord said, you just watch this. Uh, this is my intent. And the beauty of this, after studying, you know the story here. I'm going to tell the story. You know what happens. Uh, you know what happens. Uh, the... <coughs> Sea split, they walk through, and the Egyptians follow through. Now, that was, in many ways, an act of foolishness. I have to say, if I saw the Jordan or the Red Sea split and saw you walking through, I'd say, well, that's neat, but I think I'll just watch here from the seashore. You know, I don't know that I want to get in there and try that thing as well, you see. But the Egyptians foolheartedly, all right? They had never seen anything like that before. Uh, and they certainly didn't know that it was the Lord that did this for their demise. And foolheartedly, 
uh, they follow in after them and get there to the point of no return and God says, well, this is enough of that. Uh, and the waters come. But look at the verse 25. What was God's purpose in doing all of this? What was God's purpose? That um, the Egyptians might come to know the Lord was involved here. So all the wheels start coming off so forth so that the Egyptians said, here's what they said now, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. It's exactly what God said He was intending to do. That the Egyptians themselves might come to recognize, might come to know that this is the hand of the Lord. And those that were left were able to say this, let us get out of here because God is fighting for these people. All right? They came to recognize. They came. God was glorified by the death of the Egyptians and God was glorified in the manner in which His people ultimately then were going to respond. Here's the reasonableness of faith. All right? that's, that's the second thing I think we can learn here. What was God's purpose? To set up His glory, yes, but then to emphasize the sensibility of faith. It is never... Uh, it is never unreasonable to trust the Lord. It's never unreasonable. There's a whole bunch of stuff about faith. There's a whole bunch of stuff about faith uh, that, that is beyond reason. Right? A whole lot of stuff about faith that is beyond reason. If I had to figure out, if Moses had to figure out what was going on here, it defied explanation. But even though faith is beyond reason, listen, it is never unreasonable. It is never unreasonable. It is always the smart thing to do. It is always the proper thing to do. It is always the sensible thing to do. To trust the Lord. And here was an evidence of that. The Lord brings them to the end of themselves, teaching them how sensible it is to put their trust in Him. So that the next time they find themselves in this Red Sea experience, or this whatever difficulty or danger, uh, they can rest upon this uh, assurance that God uh, God has always been faithful. It's reasonable to trust the Lord. Now, uh, go back to the test. And, and, and how did God deliver them? This is certainly a beautiful picture here as well. How is it that God delivered these people? Um, this test did not last forever. There's a time limit on this test. That's what makes it a test, you know. Uh, it's a time limit. It's a time limit on the test. I have students all the time. Uh, when I give them tests, they want more time. They want more time. And I say to myself, in many ways, it's a stupid thing, right? The, the whole purpose of the test is get this thing over, right? You want it to get over and learn uh, what... Well, there was a time limit uh, on this test. God was not going to leave them there forever. You see. Uh, and at the appropriate time, He called time uh, on this test and showed the great deliverance. In answer to prayer, look at verse 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground to the midst of the sea. The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying unto me? Now, it's interesting here. 
And you, you can see this from the Hebrew text. It doesn't come out so much in the English, I suppose. Uh, you, you go back to verse 10. And, and we learn there that when the, uh, when the people of Israel, children of Israel, saw their difficulty, uh, they cried out unto the Lord. Verse 15, the Lord says to Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Well, there's the thou. We can see that in English as well. Singular. Singular. The people collectively, plural, called unto the Lord. And there's no indication here whatsoever that the Lord listened to what they were saying. There was not a prayer of faith. There was not a cry of faith. There was a cry of despair. There was a cry of discouragement, a cry, that's a cry of unbelief. And the Lord, if you will, ignored it. But singularly, the Lord heard. Now, I'm not told even in this text that Moses cried, but obviously he did because the Lord said, I heard your cry. And he's speaking specifically there to the prayer of Moses. Prayer of faith. And the Lord says, here it is. Let me show you. Let me show you here how I am going to answer your cry as you look for the salvation of the Lord. First thing that I see, look at verses 19 and 20. This deliverance was preceded by the altering position, if I can put it this way, of the divine presence. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all that night. What a beautiful picture that is. Here's the angel of God. Now, we spent some time... When? I don't remember, but it's I guess back when we talked about the call of Moses, or in that early section, in the divine presence here. Here's this angel of God. This is the angel of the Lord. Uh, this is a Christophany. All right? This is a Christophany. And you study the uh, occurrences in your Old Testament of the angel of God, the angel of the Lord. It's a Christophany. We've defined a Christophany, remember, as an actual, visible manifestation of the pre-incarnate Christ. An actual, visible manifestation of a pre-incarnate Christ. There was Christ visibly present with these people. He was there at the head, leading them. It was the presence of Christ. Now, this boggles the mind. This boggles the mind. But there, I say, is a Christophany. The appearance in human form, but not in human nature. No human nature here. That happens at the Incarnation. But here in human form was the appearance of the Redeemer. Leading them at front, leading them out of Egypt. And there at the head of this nation leading them. There was the cloud, there was the theophonic presence of God leading them. But at the place of danger, what happened? The angel that was at the head of them now goes to the rear of them. And that cloud that was leading them now goes to the rear of them. 
And they're standing between the people of God and the enemy of God. They're standing between the people of God and those that were pursuing them. It was the Lord Himself. In front of them to lead, yes, but behind them to defend. The presence of the Lord. And I, I'm not straining. I'm not straining this, you know. You go to Isaiah chapter 63. It speaks there of the angel of His presence that was before them. In all their affliction, He was afflicted. Christ was there. So it gets strange sometimes. We ask this question often, or I'm asked this question often. You know, how much did those poor benighted Old Testament saints know about Christ? How could they know? Well, in the in the grace of God, in the goodness of God, He made it easy for them to know. If I can put it in those terms, and He gave the visible tokens and the visible manifestation of His presence with them. But what a beautiful lesson that is. Is there danger ahead? Well, our God is with us. Our Christ is with us. There as the great Deliverer. So, the uh, altering of the presence of the Lord here, visibly, what confidence that would give to see the angel and the cloud coming between them and the ultimate danger. And then there was the division of the waters. Supernatural. Unmistakably divine. Here is a work that man could not do. When Moses held out his rod and those waters divided, I guarantee you there was evidence of divine working. That is something that man cannot do. The way out was the work of God. The way out was God's direct intervention in the behalf of His people. A deliverance then that was experienced by life and by death. Safe transit for God's people, but there was a total destruction of the enemy. The goodness and severity of God is seen here in the one act of this Red Sea experience. But then, people came back to where they were before. When they saw all of this, when they saw now the answer, when the Lord went over the test with them, what we do as teachers, right? We give the test, students miss it all, make all these mistakes, come back and we waste the next class period going over that test, and finally it dawns on them. Finally it dawns on them. Why didn't you make that clear when you taught this to me? You see? Uh, it's always the teacher's fault. But the Lord goes over the test. The Lord goes over the... They took the test. They gave the wrong answer. The Lord showed them the right answer. And now, look at verse 31. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. The Lord good. The Lord good. He brought them right back to where... Last time they saw the hand of God, they feared the Lord, they believed. That's good. Here comes a test, they fail, and God does this great thing. And once again, the people fear the Lord, believe. That's where they were to be from the very beginning. That was the answer that God wanted on this test from the very beginning. Now they got it. Now they got it. Beautiful picture here. Let's us get it. All right? Let's us get it. 
Uh, we've had the deliverance from uh, the Egyptians. We've known that kind of rescue. The Lord has brought us out. We fear the Lord. We believe the Lord. Uh-huh. And now we go through tests. Hey, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed except the answers that we keep given to these tests. Let's learn to trust the Lord. That was the second text. Well, we come to chapters 15, 16, and 17. And we've got a series of pop quizzes here, if you will. Lord's a good teacher. And tests come. Tests come. And here in chapters 15, 16, and 17, one right after the other, going to be some more tests. Haven't hit the final exam yet. And all of these three chapters, all the events here, happen within a period of three months. You read the text, in a three-month period, one right after the other. They journeyed from Egypt and now on their way to Sinai. It's a crash course in faith. Now three times. Let me point out the tests and then we'll bring all this together. There's a key word that occurs in each of these passages that uh, suggests here the notion of the test. Look at chapter 15, verse 25. And he cried unto the Lord, showed him a tree, and so forth. The last part, and there he proved them. All right, there he proved them. That word proved is the word test. And there he tested them. Look at chapter 16 and verse 4. Then behold the Lord, said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven. So forth and so forth and so forth. Last part that I may prove them, test them, whether they will walk in my law or no. Here's the next question. Test it. And then in chapter 17, verse 2, Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water. Moses says, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And then in verse 7, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And what the authorized version translates here as tempt is the same word in the other two texts translated as proof. Same word. What's the difference? In chapter 15 and 16, the Lord was the subject. The Lord was testing them. But now in chapter 17, the tables are turned, as it were, and the people are testing the Lord. They're tempting, but proving, testing the Lord. But God is not to be tested. His reliability is not to be questioned. It's established, and there's going to be some serious consequences. For they're so tempting and proving and testing the Lord. But I say that again is typical. That is the typical response that students have to teachers. Uh, I, I can relate to this. I can relate to this. Give the instruction. You give the information. You pour out all that you know. Well, not all because they couldn't handle that. <laughs> you, pour, you, you pour out some of what you know uh, to, to these students. You see, they don't get it. They don't get it. And then they turn. 
They take the test, they fail the test, they don't get the answer, and they start blaming the teacher. They start blaming the teacher for not being clear. You see? You weren't clear. You did, why didn't you say this? Why didn't you say... Well, and, and then the big one. And I think this is what they were coming to here. It's not fair. It's not fair. That question's not fair. You can't ask me that question. That's not fair. If I, if I had a nickel for every time I'd been accused of asking unfair questions, uh, I'd have more nickels than I have now. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, but right? It's not fair. It's not fair. I didn't, I didn't have that in my notes. You see? I, I didn't have that in my notes. That's not something that you said, this will be in the test. And students had that mentality. Right? Can we expect you to know something that you didn't say was going to be on the test? perish the thought that we have to think through something and make the application from what we learn here to something else. Perish that thought, right? But that's what was happening here. It's exactly what was happening here. God had taught these people certain things. He showed them certain things, expecting them now to have enough sense. Can I put it this way? God was expecting these people to have enough sense to take a lesson that they learned at the Red Sea and have enough sense to apply that to now at Elam. All right? To have enough sense to apply that same truth to this new circumstance in life. But when God took the same basic question, but just rephrased it, if you will, Put it in a new environment, a new circumstance. Ah, it's not fair. It's not fair. Well, I'm going to take a look at these three, uh, three chapters. Uh, our time is gone for today, but we'll come back, Lord willing, next week and take a look at these little quizzes uh, that God gave the people. One in chapter 15 involving disappointment. One in chapter 16 involving contentment. And, and then in chapter 17, uncertainty. And beautiful. And the Lord is so gracious. The Lord is so gracious. We're, we're going to see in, in, chapter, in, in chapter 15 the place where they were thirsty. See? Uh, bitter waters. God made the waters drinkable. In chapter 16 where they were hungry. God gave them the manna. See? Chapter 17 where they, when they were thirsty again. When they were thirsty again. There's the water that comes from the rock. Uh, well, that water would have been supplied. The water would have been supplied. Even had they not made their complaint. God was not going to let these people starve. He's not going to let them people, these people thirst and, and famish in the desert. But not enough sense did they have to apply the same truth to the circumstances of life. And again, you know, let's, uh, it's hard to read some of this stuff, I must confess. Uh, because uh, in my own life and in your own life, how many times do we make the same mistake? And, and how many times do we fail and we, uh, we, we, we fail to exercise the belief and express the confidence, even in spite of all of the track record that we have of God's goodness and God's faithfulness to us? Uh, that, that seems to be okay until he throws the next question at us. Panic.